power of God. Thank you that you change not, and therefore, Lord, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we look to you today for every blessing, every need met, for every impartation and every revelation that you would ever want to give to your children. We thank you that that's available to us today. Help us to receive it by faith. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, before I get in the Word, you can turn in your Bibles to the book of 2 Peter, please, chapter 1. Three chapters here, not very long of a book, but I want to uh, uh, begin with verse 1 of chapter 1 this morning. And while you're turning there, I just want to mention that you may have noticed, if you're up on this end of the parking lot, some piles of building materials. There are some trusses going to be delivered tomorrow. More things are coming, but the cover on that concrete slab for our pavilion is expected to be up there before the picnic day. Isn't that wonderful? Praise the Lord. They tell us a couple weeks is all they're going to need, and so there'll be a roof on there and all the things, and it will, I'm not sure exactly if every detail will be done by that day, but we'll be using it, and it's going to be, uh, have lights and power, and of course we know that it's only temporarily uh, a shelter cover, pavilion cover, because it was built and the foundation put in and with the thought in mind that it will eventually be enclosed because we'll need more classrooms and all of that. So very, very grateful for what the Lord is doing. Thank God for all of you. Amen. I know it's summertime, and I know that people have planned vacations sometimes months in advance, and you're anxious to get on those trips and do all those fun things and visit family and or maybe it's not visiting family, maybe it's to get away from family. I don't know, whatever the case may be, it's a vacation anyway. And so I just want to tell you how much we miss you when you're away. We thank you for uh, being faithful to the house of God. Uh, so many of you, when you're away, you can watch online and all of, the, all of that kind of thing. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful blessing. And so we appreciate you so much. Amen. These words we're going to get started reading today. I'm going to read the entire first chapter in just a few moments. These words are the last recorded words of the Apostle Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' closest and I would add most outspoken disciples. The number and the magnitude of the miracles and supernatural happenings that this man saw was absolutely astounding. Now, Peter was not the intellectual powerhouse that Paul was. As a matter of fact, scholars who uh, read and understand the original languages of the Bible, they tell us that there is a big difference between the first epistle of Peter and the second letter of Peter. The first one was pretty polished, you know, it's, it's fixed up pretty good which leads them to believe that probably Peter dictated the first one and someone, probably Mark, wrote uh, that letter, just as it's commonly believed that actually the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, was dictated by Peter and Mark penned it and his name's on it. But the second letter, these three brief chapters, shows a different style which leads scholars to believe that probably Peter really did just write this himself. And you have to remember, he was called in his day uneducated. 
He was a fisherman by trade. That doesn't mean you have to be uneducated to be a good fisherman. Is that right, Michael? Right, amen. He's a college graduate and a good fisherman. But Peter was not a college graduate. Peter was not an educated man. But evidently, he knew, and actually this epistle, as we get into it, you'll see he's aware that he's going to leave the earth soon. The Lord had showed him that his time to die on the earth, physical death, and go on to be with the Lord was soon. He doesn't appear at all to be sad about it, doesn't appear at all to be fearful about it, but there's some business he wants to attend to before he leaves, primarily being the fact he wanted to get this message to those people. Now, you've got to remember that he'd walked with Jesus pretty much the entirety of his ministry. He had seen the dead raised. He had seen multitudes fed, in one case just with a little boy's lunch. Um, he actually saw Lazarus before he died. He saw Lazarus come out of the tomb. Then later on, Jesus would be at the house of Lazarus, and Peter was able evidently to sit around somewhere at the table and uh, see this guy raised from the dead eating a meal with Jesus. He'd seen uh, all kinds of marvelous things. And then he saw the empty tomb. Remember Peter and John going in, seeing the the, the grave clothes lying there and then seeing the uh, napkin that was wrapped around Jesus' head in a separate place, saw Jesus resurrected. He was there on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell and he heard that rushing mighty wind. And he was one of the 120 that tongues of fire set upon his head. How many of you realize that if, 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 if a fireball came down on your head, it would probably have an effect on you. You wouldn't be half asleep. Something would happen. He, and so then he gets up and preaches, this uneducated guy who just days before, weeks before, had cursed and swore and denied that he even knew Jesus. Most of us would think Peter is not qualified to preach. We would have thought he should have been in rehab. He should have been somewhere getting fixed up because he really messed up. But when the Holy Spirit came, ooh, glory to God. It's the truth for 2,000 years. When the Holy Spirit comes, and even before that, for that matter, it makes all the difference. And he stood and preached, and 3,000 people were born again in one day. He was so anointed by the Holy Ghost that there was a portion of time when uh, Peter's shadow, I'm looking here on the platform here, this light over here is casting a shadow, that just his shadow passing by someone, passing over someone, would bring them healing. He was with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. He talks about that in this book. I mean, he had heard the voice of God say, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. In that day, he, he saw Jesus glorified and he also saw Moses and Elijah. Amen. So, I mean, he wasn't an intellectual, but he was powerful. And so I really am interested in his last words. What would a man like that say to us? You know, last words are very important. If people are conscious and at themselves, as we say, and if they're an honest person, then their last words are very, very significant. Last goodbyes, 
last warnings, last instructions, last encouragements. They're significant from these kind of people. And so what I am proposing to do, and I don't know how long it will take. I know it won't take one day. So we will come back to this again and again as we need to. But uh, I want to walk through these three verses, or three chapters rather, with you. And we call this series of teaching Last Words for the Last Days. Because these are Peter's last recorded words. And in this book particularly, he gives some specific information about the last days. And I think that if there was any generation since Pentecost that would look around itself and say, we must be in the last days, it has to be this one. The world is different than it was 50 years ago, certainly than it was 100 years ago or 2,000 years ago. Though the devil is the same and our God is the same, Human nature is the same. We still see by the sheer magnitude of the numbers involved in population as well as the quote-unquote advances that may be doubtful in some cases, but advances in uh, communications and in the way we uh, interact with people how that we live in a world unlike any world before, like any generation before. And I believe, and this is where we will be coming from, I believe we are in the last days. And I know that there is a sense, and it was Peter when he preached on the day of Pentecost, referring to the prophecies of Joel being fulfilled through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, that he actually said and mentioned it shall come to pass in the last days. So I know there is a, a biblical sense in which we've been in the last days for 2,000 years. So maybe I should say it this way. We're in the last of the last days. And I believe the coming of the Lord is very near. I don't know the day or the hour. This is not a series where I'm going to pull up uh, charts that are 20 feet long and walk you down through all kinds of convoluted ideas and opinions about what's going to happen. But it's going to be very simple, very, I, I, I trust, very biblical, so that we can understand where we are, we can understand what to expect, and we can understand how to position ourselves to live successfully as a believer in the last days. It's very, very important that we, we get this right. Now, Peter's not going to start out, as we're going to read here in a moment, he's not going to start out talking about all of that. He'll get to it, but he begins by giving some information, and through chapter 1, he actually touches on a number of topics. And, of course, as a teacher, that means probably I'm going to get bogged down, not bogged down, but I'm going to get slowed down by looking at different aspects of it, but that's okay. We have all summer, don't we? We've got till Jesus comes. If he comes before I get done, we're really going to find out about the last days. <laughs> Amen. How many of you believe Jesus knows all about it? Amen. So I'm going to read from the, I'm going to read the entire first chapter. I'm going to try not to stop, uh, but I'm going to read the entire first chapter. We won't do that every single week, but we will today to begin. And I want to give you a homework assignment before we start. Are you ready for your assignment? I'd like to ask you to read the entire book before next Sunday. 
And then each week after that, at least for a while, read this book in a different uh, version of the Bible. Maybe the next week after that, read it from the Amplified. Maybe the week after that, read it from the NIV. I'm going to be going back and forth in different translations, looking at different verses, what they say to help us better understand it. But it will help you to get a better picture of this if you look at, at it even in different translations. But today, we will, tr we will go with the tried and true, Apostle Paul's favorite translation, <laughs> the King James Version. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, <coughs> give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though ye know them and be established in the present truth. Yea, I think it meet as long as I'm in this tabernacle to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things always in remembrance. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. 
For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Now, we're just going to walk down through these verses and through these chapters. Some verses we'll stop and take some time with. Others we may go over a little more quickly. We might jump to various sections and segments. And that's why I want you to read the whole thing so you can keep everything connected in your own mind and thinking. And I promise you that if today's side journeys and uh, breaking down of certain verses and phrases, if it doesn't maybe give you the excitement you want, hang around. We'll get to yours. There'll be something here for you, praise the Lord. Let's begin in the first verse. He introduces himself, acknowledges himself, but not necessarily in the way that some might would think. I have already told you about some of his bona fides. I've told you about some of his, uh, you know, his uh, qualifications for being able to speak to us. But he doesn't start out by saying, I'm an apostle. He starts out by saying, I'm a servant. Amen. I'm a servant. That means a bond servant, a slave. Somebody who doesn't belong to themselves. Somebody who is owned by somebody else. Somebody who is someone else's servant for them to command. That's the way Peter viewed his relationship with Jesus Christ. Secondly, he identifies himself as an apostle. So Peter was not big into titles. In today's modern church, in some quarters, titles are very important. And you can get in trouble if you don't use the right title. I remember hearing Brother Lester Summerall say, or Glenn, I actually heard him was telling me about what he said one time. Someone asked him, uh, because Brother Summerall was an apostle. There's no doubt about that. That was his ministry. He was a great teacher as well. But somebody asked him when he went to a church, Brother Summerall, how do you want me to introduce you? What do you want me to call you? And he said, well, he said, I'm, I'm your brother. He said, just call me brother. That's humility. And that kind of humility does not take away from what and who he was. It really adds to it. And that's the same way with Peter. Peter says, I'm first of all a servant. Then I'm an apostle, which means I'm a delegate, an ambassador of the gospel. I'm officially a commissioner of Jesus Christ. I am a sent one. But I think it's very interesting, and I think that's very good for all of us to understand that we're not in the business to promote and exalt ourselves. But we are in the business, if you can use that term, of serving Jesus in whatever capacity that he calls us to. I think about David, the great uh, psalmist of Israel. David, how that he said he'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to sit in the seat of the mighty. There's something about great men and women of God that their life is more about we than it is about me. So take, take a little inventory. Listen to your conversations. Is it all about me or is it about someone else? Or at least does it include other people? So he says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them 
that have obtained like precious faith with us. I really like that. Like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. You may have a translation that renders that God and Savior uh, Jesus Christ. Jesus is God as well as the Father is God as well as the Holy Spirit is God. Amen. So Jesus wasn't just a man. He was more than a man. He was the God-man. Amen. Now notice Peter said, you have faith, all the people he was writing to, and this would include you, because you know that through, through the marvelous uh, supernatural work of God, we are brought these scriptures, which is God speaking to us. These men, as Peter would say in this chapter we just read, they wrote as, uh, as spoke as they were moved upon by the Holy Ghost. And the word, of course, was spoken first by God so it could be written down by men so that men could then speak it again and again and again and again, year after year, century after century, until we come to the present day. And we get to read this morning the very words that those original disciples heard when this letter was read to them 2,000 years ago. It's just amazing. So we don't have a different faith. Since faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We don't have a different faith than Peter had. We have the same, like, precious faith. You know, sometimes people criticize us and churches like ours because they say we just make too big a deal about faith. We talk too much about it. We emphasize it too much. But I, I know that I've read in the Bible... In, a, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11 and verse 6, that I can't even please God without faith. I know from Ephesians 2 that it's by grace through faith that I've been saved. And I know, according to, for instance, uh, one scripture would be Mark 11, uh, 22, 23, 24, that passage, that I can't even receive from God without faith. So I beg to differ with our critics. I think it's very hard to overemphasize faith. I know there are other subjects, and I know other things need to be taught in the context of a local church. But you'll notice here, right in the beginning of this letter that Peter wrote in his last uh, recorded letter we have from him, he mentions the fact that we have the same faith that he had. So all of those things I told you about earlier that Peter was blessed to do and see, just think about it. You've got the same faith he had. Amen. Because you see, Peter's faith, as he testifies in this very first chapter, his faith didn't come by what he saw. His faith didn't come by what he felt. His faith came the same way yours came, by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. God is no respecter of persons, Ephesians 6, 9. Our measure of faith, Romans 12, 3, can and should grow. Now I know my faith isn't developed to the level that this man's faith was developed when, by the time he left the earth, but I'm working on it. Amen. I'm working on it, praise the Lord. And I'm not discouraged because I haven't arrived yet. As a matter of fact, I view that as one of the great blessings of the Christian life is because it's never boring. And progress in the Christian life means greater blessing and being a greater blessing. It means a more exciting life. It doesn't mean fading off until we'd finally drop dead. It means going up, up, up in the things of God until like Enoch, we're finally caught up out of here somewhere. Amen. 
<laughs> Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So our faith is the same kind and is as precious as the great apostle. Amen. Look at verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you. Now that, that phrase is very familiar because you hear that uh, from the apostle Paul, for instance, in so many of his letters. But I want you to notice a little thing that's important to note, and that is grace comes before peace. Grace always precedes peace. You really can't have peace without grace. The only way a human gets to be at peace with God, the only way a human gets to, to have peace to live his life or her life in the earth is to first partake of the grace of God that is made manifest through the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his empowerment of the church through the gospel. Grace, the word is charis. It means benefit. It means favor. It means gift. It means God's riches at Christ's expense. It is blessings, favor, benefits that we do not and did not earn and cannot and never will be able to pay for. It's just because God loved you. <laughs> Don't you like it when grace shows up? I remember one time many years ago going to preach for a minister. And uh, it, was, uh, it was at a time in my life when we had a lot, you know, going on looking to the Lord. And I really was not at my best. We had traveled a number of hours to get to this place. And I remember I preached. I had one night. And uh, I don't know. I just look back on that and I feel like I, I didn't do so great. I mean, I did the best I could at the moment. It just, but it still wasn't good enough. You ever done your best and it just wasn't good enough? The gravy still was too thick or whatever happened. Uh, just did your best, but it wasn't good enough. And uh, so I felt that way. So at, uh, after the service was over, he took, he took us out to eat, and we ate a meal. And, and before it was over, he gave me an offering. And it was a generous offering. And I said, Brother, I said, I, I don't feel like I did that well. He said, You didn't. I just wanted to bless you. <laughs> <laughs> He was old enough to get away with it, and I still love him when I see him in heaven. I may ask him about that. I don't know. So that's grace. That's grace. And so this, this verse says, grace and peace not only come to you, but be multiplied. I'll tell you, it'd do you good to go through the New Testament and just look at how many times the word multiply or multiplied is used. You're going to find that God is way more into the multiplication business than he is the addition business. See, some of us are thinking, well, if I just had, if I just could add, you know, X number of dollars to the budget, or if I could just add this or that or the other. No, God is not thinking about adding an extra $20 a week. God is interested in multiplying the seed you sow. He's interested in causing you to have an exponential, exponential increase that will cause you to look around and say, how did I get here? Well, it's amazing grace. That's how I got there. The amazing grace of God. He wants you to be able to walk in your house and say amazing grace. Get in your car and say amazing grace. Sit at the table and say amazing grace. He wants you to be able to, to uh, uh, examine your body and know how you feel and say amazing grace. <laughs> That's the will of God. 
He is a multiplier. <laughs> Excuse me. Hallelujah. Somebody got tired of handing me water. They got two of them up here. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Preach twice, twice as long. Must have been a, a Boy Scout. Be prepared. That's the motto. Amen. I know because I was a Cub Scout, but I dropped out. My Cub Scout dropout. <laughs> you must say that's the problem. Well, maybe that's part of it. I don't know. Grace and peace. Peace. Now, peace here means quietness. It means rest. It has to do with uh, prosperity. To live a quiet and peaceable, prosperous life, that's the will of God. Now he says, I want this to be multiplied to you. And notice what he says, look at the verse again, how it's going to happen. He didn't say there are 14 ways, 20 steps. No, he just gave us the way this happens. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the what? The knowledge. The knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Knowledge here means recognition, full discernment. It has to do with acknowledging and acknowledgement. The Amplified words it this way, the full, personal, precise, and correct knowledge of God. Now let me give you those words again. The full, personal, precise, and correct knowledge of God. The knowledge of God. It really matters what you know. And the more you know about God and the more you know from the Word what God is saying, the greater level of grace and peace you will have. No, you're not earning either one. You're not earning grace. It can't be earned. You're not earning peace. That's not possible either. But what you are doing is through the knowledge of God, you learn how to position yourself to receive these blessings. And you begin to walk in these blessings. One of the things I've noticed in my life is that when people get born again, when they are first saved, they can't have a fully renewed mind to the things of God because that's a process that takes time to happen. And we renew our mind through the Word of God. That's why teaching is so important. And that's why reading the Bible is so important. Studying your Bible, meditating your Bible, confessing the Bible, then doing the Bible. We learn and we grow in the knowledge of God. When you're first born again, you're a brand new baby. And probably you've noticed this, that you've probably known people who they first got born again and they had some of the squirreliest ideas. And I'm not trying to embarrass or insult anybody, but maybe you were one of them. I know I had some mix-up ideas. And where do those come from? Well, they come from a lot of places. Maybe you went to church some, but you didn't hear a full, well-rounded message of truth. Maybe you heard parents, grandparents, family members, you know, or schoolmates or whatever, giving you their version of what the Bible says. Their version of what's right and what's wrong and what's going to happen and what's not going to happen. 
All those things. And we've all heard some of those old sayings that maybe you thought were, were biblical until you found out that's not even in the Bible. Like cleanliness is next to godliness. Now, if I were doing the Bible, I think I'd want to put it in there. But God didn't see the need for it. So there are a lot of things like that that people come to the, the, the they come to Christ, they get involved with the body of Christ, they go to church, and they've got all of these ideas that need to be washed out. They need to be washed out. And the washing of the water of the word, how many of you know that's a New Testament phrase? It will, it, that's what it'll do. It will rid you of wrong thinking. It will rid you of bad doctrine. It'll rid you of, of erroneous ideas. And it'll bring to you the truth of what God says and what God thinks. I mean, I was saved for years before I realized how important it was that I would be filled with the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. I mean, the church that, uh, that I grew up in from a very young child, well, they didn't teach that experience. As a matter of fact, they kind of taught against it. They weren't always railing against it, but they just didn't really believe in that, so nobody was encouraged for that. And so uh, there came a point in life when, uh, you know, we've, I found myself in a Pentecostal church where my grandparents went, and uh, the evangelist, and that particular day, this was long, long ago, was evangelist Steve Brock. Some of you remember Steve was a, a soloist, a great tenor voice soloist for Benny Hinn for many years. But he was traveling preaching in those days. And, um, and so uh, I received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But let me further illustrate what I'm talking about. I received the experience, but because I went back to the non-Pentecostal church that I was a part of at the time, it was a, it was, there was a gap of a number of years before I really heard any in-depth teaching about things like praying in the Spirit, singing in the Spirit, and the proper use of the gifts of the Spirit. And so you see, what I didn't know, I was not enjoying. And also what you don't know sometimes will cause you to make some wrong decisions. You won't see how important certain things are. And I look back now in my life and I, I thank God for His grace. I thank God for information, for the knowledge of the Word. How it has changed my life. I could not explain to you today the degree of change that it brings to your life. And I can tell you, even, even in our church here in the last uh, 20, 25, 30 years, it's amazing that the more of the Word we have embraced the more we have learned and the more we've been willing to cast off our traditional ideas to take biblical ideas and run with it, it's just amazing what God has done for us and what God has blessed us to be able to do and to, to have. And that's what I want for every one of you. That's why I say that if you'll give us six months and you'll come every week and you'll open your Bible with us, you'll study with us, don't just accept it because I say it or any of our great guests say it, but just open your own Bible, make sure it's in there, make sure you prove it for yourself, and then do the Word, I guarantee you in six months' time, your life will not be the same. You'll be different. You'll be different. The entrance of His Word gives light. So this recognition, full discernment, acknowledgement, uh, of and, and uh, full, precise 
correct personal knowledge of God will change your life. But then there's one other thing about this word. And uh, if you look up the original uh, from the word knowledge there, epignosis, you'll find that it also has to do with acknowledging. Acknowledging. Why is that important? That's your confession. Philemon, only one chapter, six verses, that the, um, how is it worded? That the, uh, I'm going to have to read it. Philemon chapter one and verse number six. That the communication, thank you, the communication of thy faith may become effectual or powerful. How? By the acknowledging of every good thing <coughs> which is in you in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? That means there are things in you, things that are deposited. That's what grace does. It makes deposits in you. But the way you draw those out and enjoy the benefits of them is as you acknowledge those things, as you declare those things. So we have to make choices. Do we acknowledge sickness and pain or do we acknowledge the divine healing power of Jesus? Do we acknowledge our poverty and lack? Do we talk about that or do we talk about the provision of God and how he supplies all our needs according to his riches <clears throat> in glory by Christ Jesus? You see, the, what you acknowledge is what you're living by. What you acknowledge is what you have. You know, you can get around certain people and immediately they begin to acknowledge how sick they are, how weak they are, how bad things are. Everything that happens, they have a negative slant to it. Even if it's something good, they'll tell you what's on the other side of that coin and it's something bad. You know, some people can brighten a room by leaving it. <laughs> you and I don't want to be those people. We want to be constantly acknowledging who and what is in us and, of course, to do that, you've got to know what that is. So Peter here is not saying that grace is just you sitting in front of the television and automatically turning into this spiritual giant. Peter, which, by the way, is not necessarily the most favorite book of those who are, you know, we might say hyper-grace folk. This is not one of their favorite books here because Peter... Uh, he makes it clear there's some things we need to do. We're not, we're not earning our salvation, of course. We're not working to get to heaven, but what we're doing is we're trying to enjoy the life that God has called us to live. Praise the Lord. So, let's go to verse 2. How long have I been preaching? Don't, don't say too long. Somebody just give me a number. 30 minutes? Oh, glory. Well, let's go to verse 3 then. <laughs> Be careful what you say. According as his divine power, that word power is dunamis. That's the Greek word dunamis. We get the English word dynamite from that word, by the way. So it gives you an, an idea. It's explosive power. And in the spiritual sense, in the godly sense, it is self-energizing power. God doesn't need charged. There is no cord attached to God. He doesn't have to go into a heavenly room somewhere 
and lay down on a bed and get fully charged again to be God. No, he is constantly re-energizing himself. He does not diminish, which means everything he ever did, he's still able to do today. Every miracle he ever performed through a man on the earth, he can still perform through a man on the earth. He is still God all by himself. He doesn't have to ask any of us what we think. I'm sure he does care what you think, but only because he cares for you and knows that what you think about him is going to affect your life. But as far as it diminishing him, he could care less. Whether you like him, love him, hate him, respect him, disrespect him, whether you rebel against him or serve him, None of that will change who he is. And I really like the part how that he could never love you any more than he already loves you. And no matter whatever happens, he'll never love you any less. You see, God is never the problem. God is the, the integrity of God, the person of God, the person of God. None of those are ever in question. It's always in situations we face, it's always about us. Am I where I'm supposed to be? Am I doing what I'm supposed to do? And it's, again, it's not earning those things. It's just positioning yourself. Positioning yourself. I mean, you know, if it's raining outside, you're not going to get wet in here. But if you really want to get wet, you can go outside. It'll happen. That's the way it works. And that's the way we position ourselves before God. Now, <clears throat> he says here that his divine power, his dunamis, and that, by the way, is the same word that Jesus used in Acts 1-8 when he was telling the disciples to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. He said, for you will be, uh, Luke 24 rather, you will be endued or clothed upon with power from on high. That's this word, power. So Peter knew exactly what he was talking about. I mean, he, he preached on the day of Pentecost he was empowered on the day of Pentecost. So when Peter says, according as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness, he knows exactly what he's talking about. And what this also says is that the God kind of life, the Greek word is zoe, and I'm not trying to bog you down with a whole lot of definitions, but the, these are the important ones we do need to understand. This divine kind of life, it's not natural life, it's not emotional life, it is, uh, it, it is zoe, Z-O-E is how it's spelled in the Greek and pronounced zoe, and it means life as God has it and life as God knows it, the God kind of life. Well, God's so alive, he can't die. God is so alive that people in his presence can't die. Have you ever wondered how Enoch and Elijah have stayed alive for thousands of years? It's because they're close enough to God till they can't die. Amen. It's something to think about. And that life is the life that came into the dead body of Jesus and raised that body up from the dead and glorified his body. And that life is the same life that came into you when you were born again. Oh, glory. That's, that's something to shout about. It's not a different life. It's not another version. It's not life 2.0. This is the original, which doesn't need a 2.0. It doesn't need an upgrade. 
You know, don't you get tired every time you turn around? Something's needing to be upgrading. Keep it plugged in. Keep it charged. You know, tonight at 2 a.m., it's going, you know, give me a break. You know, I just want to use it and forget about all that stuff. But aren't you glad the life of God, you don't have to do that. What you got will keep you the whole journey through. And the same Spirit, and that's how the life is manifested through the Holy Spirit, that raised Jesus from the dead, we find in Romans 8, 11, will also quicken or make alive your mortal body, the body you're in now. We're not talking about a glorified body. It's not going to need quickening on a daily basis or uh, not going to need any healing because it'll be glorified. But the body you're in now, from time to time, don't we need some quickening? Amen. I thank God for that. I depend on it. Amen. I'll tell you what it will do. It'll make you forget how old you are. Now, some of you, that may not seem like a big deal, but trust me, there'll come a day when you'll be glad for that. A few weeks ago, Glenn and I were walking along, you know, in the airport in New Delhi, to, trying to get to our flight to get over to where, you know, on the journey where we were going. And two different times, people uh, came up with their little carts offering to give us a ride. I told, you know, we must have looked ancient. We turned them down. <laughs> but anyway, there's a quickening by the Holy Spirit. So Peter says, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things. Everybody say all things. All I wonder, does that mean financial things? I wonder, does that mean physical things? I wonder, does that mean relational things? I wonder, does that mean emotional things? I wonder, does that mean mental power to do the job? I wonder if what it means. Well, I don't have to really wonder. It means all things. We've been defining so many words. Let me give you a definition of all. The definition of all is A-L-L, all. Whether you're talking Greek, Hebrew, Shebrew, <laughs> Italian, German, French, whatever. All means all. And he says here that through his power has been given unto us all things that pertain to life, the God kind of life, and godliness, the, the, the God-likeness, which is really good news if you're hung up on a habit, you're hung up on some besetting sin, because you've got power on the inside to be an overcomer and live a godly life. Amen. We're not a, we're not a victim of some uh, um, environmental issue. We're not a victim of, of uh, even how we were raised. We're not a victim of some evil spirit. We are overcomers. Hallelujah. And we always win in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 2.14, thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph. We've got power to live a godly life. And how does this come? Well, notice, through the knowledge. Same word. So we're not going to go back and redefine all that. But it's the same word. Notice the emphasis that he keeps putting on you knowing God and knowing about the things of God. About you, we would say it this way, not only knowing God on a personal level, relationally, which we of course do and can do, but to know God through His Word. Because every time you open this book, God's talking to you. 
Every single time. So he says that it's through this knowledge that he has called us to glory and virtue. The word glory there is the word doxa. And uh, you've heard of the doxology. Glory, it, it has to do with honor. Virtue has to do with moral excellence and goodness. So God has called us to live honorable and morally excellent lives. God has truly called us to live holy. And do you want to know what holy is? What holiness is? Let me give you a verse. We won't turn to it. But Amos, the prophet, Old Testament prophet Amos, chapter 5, verse 15. And what you'll find in that verse is what holiness is in a nutshell. It is loving what God loves and hating what God hates. How do I know what God loves? How do I know what God hates? Again, go back to the Word. You'll find what God loves and you'll find what God hates. And you'll find that there are are a number of things going on in the earth on a much larger scale than even prior generations that God says He hates. That's why the world's in trouble. That's why our nation's in trouble. That's why a lot of people are in trouble. So the less we know about God and His Word, the less we experience His divine power, the less apt we are to live a morally excellent, upright life, and the more apt we are to get in trouble. Now I want to look at verse 4 and we're going to close. In conclusion, which you know means nothing, but (laughs) verse 4, and we will close here with this verse, but notice it's a long verse. He says, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Oh, I'm so thankful for that. And by the way, nobody backed God into a corner and made him do it. I hear ministers sometimes, and I can pick on ministers because I am one. I mean, I'm not a big fish, so I'm sure I don't get much personal attack. But, uh, but those who believe as we believe are generally lumped into certain groups and, and we get enough criticism for sure. But So I will, I'm not trying to be mean about it, but I want to point something out. It just seems that there, there are, there's an entire segment in the body of Christ that somehow seem to think that if you preach about the promises of God and if you teach people about how to receive the good things of God, that somehow that, that's just not quite spiritual enough, you know? Like we're uh, trying to put God in a box. And people use, they, they use these various phrases like, God is not your bellhop. Well, I know that. Last hotel I went to, he didn't move my luggage. I know that God's not a bellhop. Or that God's not Santa Claus. Well, I know that too. I, always, I told my kids from the time they were little that I'm Santa Claus. We didn't have any of that goofiness going on about, you know, the guy in a red suit and all that stuff drinking a Coca-Cola. No, we, we I was Santa Claus. <laughs> Maybe you don't choose to do that. I don't know. But uh, anyway, but you know, people say that like, you know, you're putting God in, in a, you're trying to put God in a corner and God was not. Well, you know, folks, 
Nobody ever put God in a corner. Nobody ever can. But God chose to make some promises. And if he is, and we know he is, if he is the sovereign God that we know from the word, then when he does make a promise, you can count on it. It's absolutely sure. And so Peter says here that we are going to, uh, we're going to enjoy this kind of a life. We're going to be partakers of the divine nature <coughs> through these exceeding great and precious promises. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm sorry. Now, one of the things I want to give you before we go about the promises of God here is that this particular word means self-committal. In other words, it's not the same as... I mean, it, it is similar, but I mean, you probably many of you have testified in court and you were asked to swear or affirm that what you're going to say, the evidence you're going to give is the, the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth will help you, God. <clears throat> you know, if you hadn't got that subpoena... Or that traffic ticket, you, you'd have never, you'd have never been there doing that, would you? Well, God was not subpoenaed. God had no violations that He was appearing before some tribunal for. He is the tribunal. He is the judge of all the earth. <clears throat> and on His own, voluntarily, He made a self-committal. And that means assurance of conferring some good. He assured us that he would confer something good, which, i.e., what he promised to us. So Peter's reminding us here before he left the earth that you've got some promises made by no less than God Almighty himself. And these promises will come to pass. And those promises are how you're going to partake of His nature. So that's why I look for those promises. That's why I look for those statements of fact in the Word about my life, about my mind, about my body, my healing, about my uh, well-being, about the call of God on my life, all the things that pertain to my life, my relationships, my marriage, everything. Because if I can find... Listen carefully, listen carefully before we go today. If I can find in the Word where it's promised to me, if I can find in the Word that it's a statement of fact, that it's settled by God for me, then I have the basis for the faith for that promise to come to pass in my life. Amen. Peter said, you've got faith like I've got faith. So it's not an issue of looking at Brother Big Name. Or apostle so-and-so. And saying, well, I know that they could believe for that. I know that God would do that for them. No, Peter says, he'll do it for you. Amen. Same faith, same power, same God, same promise, same result. Amen. Father, I'm grateful for your word today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the promises. We stand on them, Lord. We believe you for them. We thank you for your word. And Father, today, if there's anyone who's listening to me that does not know you, 
anybody in this room or anybody who's watching or hearing this message that is not ready to meet you, not right with you, not, not in right relationship with you, I pray that today will be the day they decide that they're going to surrender. That they will receive you as their Lord and their Savior. That in a heart of faith, after hearing the gospel, that Jesus died for them, that Jesus rose again for their justification, that he is alive now, seated at the right hand of the Father, resurrected as the Lord, head of the church, and that he's coming again to receive his own. That right now they would surrender to you and ask you to forgive them of all their sins and receive and confess that you, Lord Jesus, are their Lord. And from this day till their last day on the earth, they are going to live for and serve the God of heaven. In Jesus' name. If you did that here this